you. Um, do you know, we've, um, we, it's great to be here, by the way. Thank you for inviting me to come and speak. It's, uh, it's lovely to see all you hublets and uh, <laughs> to join with you and see some, you know, we're just saying that we only live down the road from each other, but I haven't seen some of you for so long. It's amazing, isn't it? Um, do you know, we've, we've been, as uh, Diane and I have been through, quite a tumultuous time recently, and um, not bad time, not at all bad time, just tumultuous. We've had um, a wedding and two funerals, a golden wedding anniversary, and we've had a little break in the middle to celebrate the golden wedding. And, uh, you know, all that sort of crammed into a period of time when you're sort of charging around doing this, that, and the other. And and in the midst, I've been thinking, so what will I talk to uh, Hub Church about? Because I really don't have the time to sit and do a theological study, uh, which is probably just as well. Um, But, you know, we've had... It has been a great time. I I mean, a couple of weeks back, my daughter got married, and it was one of the happiest days of my life. I was just so proud. (laughs) Yeah, father's love. We'll get back to that later. But seeing my daughter, and then, um, and then it was our fiftieth wedding anniversary on the very same day as her wedding, and um, you know that was quite emotional. I probably will get a bit emotional today. And it took me back to fifteen, twenty years ago, maybe when a guy called Bob Mumford was here. Now, some of you older ones will know who I mean by Bob Mumford. He's an American guy who had a lot of input into Basingstoke years back. And uh, Bob had come over because it was his wedding, 50th wedding anniversary, and he and his wife were doing a sort of tour of Europe as a, as a celebration. And he, he, did, he, he came to Basingstoke and he spoke to us all and he said this. He said, you know, he said, in 50 years of marriage, do you know, we have never, ever considered divorce. We've never mentioned it. It's never crossed our minds. Murder, yes. <laughs> but divorce, never. <laughs> so so I, I've, always, I've always remembered that, and I can say the same for us too. <laughs> um, but here's a, so here's one of my own for you. You can spend the first 25 years of your marriage thinking, how on earth can I live the rest of my life with this person? And then you can spend the second 25 years thinking, how on earth can I live the next rest of my life without this person? And, uh, you know, that's, that's what it's like. And, uh, you know, as, as you get older, you begin to think realistically and think, I can't, how can I imagine being without this person? So I know in our marriage who I want to go first to the Lord. <laughs> anyway, um, I wanted to, I just wanted to sh- share a few things. And I want to uh, read some scripture to you from um, Exodus. So um, let's see where we, we're at. Exodus 33 verses 12 to 20. Just read this to you. So the background of this is, better give you the background. Background is that Moses, they've got to Mount Sinai, the children of Israel. Moses has been up the mountain. 
He spent time with God and God's given him all the law. In fact, God gave him the law before he went up the mountain. But he gives him the Ten Commandments. He spends that time. And then he comes down from the mountain and finds the golden calf. And he's so angry, he just throws the, the, the stones down, the Ten Commandments down, and they break. And then he spends some time with God. And now this, this time he spends with God is really important to me. And I, I something coming out of it that you might think I've got the wrong end of the stick and you're welcome to think that because I may have. But this is something that I, I really felt as I was reading this. Um, something changes. So Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said... I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and, and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go up with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses says, said, now, show me your glory. Now, you've read that a number of times, I'm sure, if you've been a Christian for some time. I don't think it's ever occurred to you. This guy, Moses, has been up the mountain for 40 days. He's, he's received the law of God, the whole thing. You can see it, not just the Ten Commandments, but all the rest of it. Um, he's come down the mountain and he, he now starts to intercede with God because God is so angry with the people over the golden calf that he starts to intercede for the people, intercede for the people. And we get this passage where it says God, God's, God's pleased with him. He's pleased with Moses. And Moses, there begins to be, to my mind, a transition in his relationship with God during this period. He's been up the mountain. What's he been doing before? What he's concerned with is about leading the people. The task that God's given him is leading the people. And he goes to God for what he needs to lead the people. But out of this time of intercession and negotiation with God, I believe there's an intimacy that begins to appear in their relationship. So God says, I'm pleased with you. Oh, if, if you're pleased with me. Teach me, teach me your ways. Well, he's just been given all the law. I mean, all that. What, what more does he need? He's asking something more. I want to know about you, Lord. I want to know your ways. I want to go deeper than the law. I want to know your ways. And at the end of that conversation, he says, now show me your glory. So his, his relationship has, has moved from being focused on the people and God 
helping him to do the job he's been to, to a place where he's now suddenly begins to look at the, the Lord and say, I need to know more of who you are. I need to know more. So then he goes up to the mountain again because God says, come up and I'll, and we'll, I'll give you the law again. And it says that he's up there for another 40 days. But when he comes down, it says his face is radiant. He didn't realize it, but his face was radiant. So he had to put a, a veil over his head because it frightened people. Something had happened. So when he goes up the second time to spend time with God, something is something different here. He's spending time in the presence of the Lord, learning about God. And he comes down and he's a different man. And so I thought I wanted to talk a bit about um, intimacy with God. Not that I know a great deal about intimacy with God, but I know something. And uh, if, you, if you go online, you can, you can read any number of sermons about this on this topic. They're, they're, they're all over the place, you know. So, and, and most of them will be far better than anything I can share with you. But I do want to share a bit of my own experience. I'll tell you a few stories um, and so on. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father. And uh, it really says to us, what is? why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Was it so that we could avoid hell and go to heaven? A couple of guys that I, I've learned from in the past said this. One says this. Got it on here. Heaven is not the goal. The goal is intimacy with the Father. Jesus hasn't come just so that we can go to heaven. He's come that we should have an intimate relationship with the Father. If that comes from John 14, um, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6 and 7. That was, on, that was at the Last Supper. Um, John devotes five chapters of his book to that one occasion, the night before Jesus died. And, you know, I sometimes think, you know, if you knew you were going to die tomorrow, who, who would you want to spend this evening with? And what would you want to talk about? Would you want to talk about Liverpool drawing yesterday? You know? No. <laughs> he, he gathered around him the people who are closest to him. And then he shared his heart with them. And do you know, in those five chapters, he talks about his father 49 times. He's, and he talks about the Holy Spirit too, quite a lot. But overwhelmingly, it's about the Father. And he says, I am the way of the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In other words, I love my Father. That this, is, this is what's so important to me, is my relationship with my Father. And I'm now making a way for you to have that relationship with Father God. 
And I think that's that's so so important. So here's another one. Jesus did not save us primarily so that we can go to heaven, but to restore us into an intimate relationship with the Father. Now, here's a couple of scriptures. I think you might have had this one once before. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the second scripture, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So eternal life isn't essentially about going to heaven forever. It's about a relationship with God. Okay, And it's, it may be forever, but it's about a, a relationship with God. That's eternal life. So, that, so we, we, we sometimes focus on the eternal bit, but really... What we should be focusing on is life. Relationship with God. And I I sometimes think about this scripture, for God so loved the world. And, um, you know, you can picture, you can picture the the Trinity, Father, Son and Spirit. And and sitting around a table, you know, that that Rublev, um, that Rublev painting that we often see. And... um, and saying, you know, the, the, these, these people down on earth, they made such a mess, haven't they? We've given them so much, but they've made such a mess. They've got themselves into a right sticky situation. What on earth can we do? No, I probably didn't say that, but what can we do about it? And you can hear the father saying, right, this is what we're going to do. Son, I've got, I've got a task for you to do. I want you to go down there and live amongst them like them. I want you to become one of them. I want you to live a life and show that you can live on this earth in a way that's, that's, that's righteous and good. And he says, and what, what they'll do is they, they will abuse you and actually what they're going to do is kill you. But in the process, you're going to bring them back to me. Will you go and do it? And the son says, Father, for you, I'll do it. And so he does. Now, <clears throat> if that if that's sort of if that's true, and God really did send His Son into the world, do you think that He did all that just to start a new religion? I mean, there were plenty of those already. <laughs> you know, what did he did he come to start a new religion? He didn't come to start a new religion. He came to transcend religion. He came to take us out of religion into a dynamic and real relationship with God. So what have we done? We've turned it into another religion. And we, we, we sit so happy, we sit quite happy. Oh yeah, we're, we're one of the religions of the world. you know. But Christianity as a religion is no better than any other religion. Because it's missing the whole point of Christ's coming, which is to transform our lives. I'm a bit of an Indophile. I love India. I love old uh, Gandhi. Gandhi was in many ways, <laughs> he, he, he wasn't a particularly nice man, but he, he's, he, was, he, he was a man. He, he said, 
I, I, he says, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are not like your Christ. And he said, he said uh, I haven't quite got the words right, but he said, if your Christians lived according to the teachings of your Christ, the whole world would be Christian now. He never became a Christian because he saw that Christians didn't live out the, what Christ was teaching us. And, you know, I'm, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody else. But, you know, I, I, I hate the idea that we think that we, we're satisfied to be a religion. We're not. And we don't want to convert people to Christianity. We want to bring Christ into their lives, where they're at, and see their lives transformed. Okay, some. I I've got a, a, I've got this picture of. There's a speaker in church, right on Sunday, and he's he's, he's really he's really spoken a great sermon. It's it's you won't find it today, but maybe on another day. And this great and the, and people are queuing up to talk to him afterwards. And then at the back, the door opens, and this little girl walks in, runs in, and she sees the preacher, and she just charges up to him, bypassing the queue, goes up and tugs his trousers. And he stops everything, and he picks her up and gives her a hug, because she's his daughter. Right? Now... He's got all these people standing in front of him who understand him, they've listened to him, they know a lot about him. She may not even know his surname. She knows nothing about him, probably nothing about what he does, how important he is or anything. All she knows is, he's my daddy. And when I go and tug his trousers, he stops and gives me a hug and she's right. Because she knows him. Doesn't know a lot about him, but she knows him. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to know him. Now, she's got to grow up. I'm not saying that, uh, that that little girl stays where she is. She's got to grow up, and she's got to learn a lot. And she'll learn all about her father, and she'll learn all about what he does, and so on. Hopefully, she'll be proud of him. And so she's got to grow up. But all that knowledge that she's got, needs to be built on the foundation that he's my daddy and he loves me and I love him. That is the foundation. How much religion has been built on other foundations? The, the study, the, the, all the theology, the, the learning. I mean, Christianity was a clerical religion for so many, so many centuries. Because it was built not on that intimacy. It was built on something else. Now, please hear me. Are you, if you're hearing, I'm saying don't, don't, um, don't, don't study theology. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is start with a foundation that he's my dad and I love him and he loves me. That's where we've got to start. And, and another story, some years back in 2003, Diane and I spent four weeks in Toronto. And um, 
Toronto was where the Toronto blessing was pouring out. We were um, there in a sort of later stage, but we spent four weeks there. I, I have to say we were on a, a sort of um, school of ministry there, and I have to say we received some of the best teaching I've ever had. If you think Toronto is just about people falling over and laughing and being like drunk people, as, as it, you know, it seemed, you missed, missed it because I've got some of the best teaching I've ever had. And I was in this, um, I was in this week-long teaching uh, by a guy who's talking about devotion to God. And this guy was actually the, the principal of a Bible college, and he was teaching us. And uh, one day, fairly early on in the week, he says, do you know, he says, um, you know, God's never told us to study the Bible. And I thought, oh. And I've got this manual in front of me, and, and it had got Greek words, and it had got all this. So like the, like the idiot I um, am, I put my hand up, and I said, excuse me, <laughs> um, in producing what you've got for us today, there's been a huge amount of study gone into that, you know. Well, he, he was waiting for that. You know, he's, I was the one he needed in that, that moment. He said, yeah, he said, actually, he said, what God's told us to do is to meditate on the scriptures. Meditate on the word. Meditate. He says, out of your meditation, you'll have questions. And out of those questions, you'll study. And we need to study. Right? But it comes out of meditation. It's not, uh, it's not an end in itself to study and just get more and more knowledge of the scriptures. It needs to come out of that meditation of, of God. So, you know, that's, that's, again, really important because, you know, we, we begin to learn what God's saying through the scriptures rather than, you know, just getting the views of this theologian and that theologian and putting them all together, you know. We begin to hear the voice of God. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to just talk a little because... Um, I mean, we could talk about hearing from God and listening to God, and, and we could, that, that's another story altogether. How do we hear from God? Now, prob- probably if I did a class on how to hear from God, well, I'd probably be sitting down there, not standing up giving it. But if we were to give a class, I'd probably get quite a lot of people coming along to it because we struggle. I would suggest that is because we don't have that intimacy in our lives that we should do. And why don't we have that intimacy? Because we're such busy people, that we're, we're so busy with, with everything that we're doing that we don't really find God in, in that intimate way. Intimate way. I, I've had times when I've, been, I've found God's presence so powerful and he's speaking so much I've had to say stop. I can't take any more. I can't take it, Lord. I can't take any more. I'm not in that place now at the moment. Intimacy is not something that's a once and for all. It's an ongoing thing. And I, you know, I need, we, we all need to find it. But there have been times when God's voice just keeps coming and coming and coming. You know? And then we have to learn how to discern, you know, what's God's voice, what's my voice, what's the devil's voice, you know. But um, one of the things I just thought I'd t- just talk about as, as we, we probably draw to a close 
is about the mysteries of God. And I, it's, it's one of my pet subjects because I, I just, I think I, f- I was first reading in Ephesians and Paul talks about the mystery of God. And I thought, well, what are the mysteries of God? And Paul talks a lot about the mysteries of God. And um, here are some of the mysteries of God that Paul talks about. He talks about the profound work of Christ's salvation, his work of salvation. Now, you and I, We've, re- we've got our Bibles. We've been reading it for years. We know it, we know it pretty well if we've been around for a while. But the truth of what, what went on in the Godhead, then the work of Christ, to bring us back to a place of God, is a profound mystery. It's just that others have discovered that mystery and made it plain to us. The second one, which Paul talks a lot about, is that the Gentiles could join with the Jews to form one new entity, the, the, the church, the body of Christ. And, um, you know, this, this again, well, we've been living in a largely Gentile-run church for 2,000 years. So it's, it's no great mystery to us. But it was to the first century Christians because the whole Jude, Jude, Judaistic Religion was based around, you know, the, 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 the Jews and the Gentiles were unclean and you didn't go too close to them and so on. And strangely, it wasn't the theologians that discovered that the Gentiles could come, could be part of the church. Okay, Even though it was there in scriptures, it wasn't Gentiles. You know, Acts chapter 6, Cornelius, Cornelius' household and Peter up on the roof, um, up on the roof praying, and God saying, go to this, you know, go to this, this household, but how can I go? They're unclean, you know. Don't call anything unclean that I say is clean. And Peter has to be obedient to God, goes to Cornelius' household. Well, Cornelius is a Roman centurion. He's got a house full of people, and they're worshipping God. And he goes and preaches. And what, does, what happens? The Holy Spirit falls on them. They all speak in tongues. Wonderful. And he has to say, if, if the Holy Spirit can fall on them, can we deny them that they should be baptized as part into the church? You know? So it wasn't the theologians that, that brought this revelation. It was the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it came out of Peter being in the presence of God, on the roof of that house, being willing to listen and spend time hearing God so that when God said, go into that house, he didn't revert to his Judaism and say, no, I can't go into a house like that. He was listening to God and God said, go into that house, a Gentile house. And there, the whole, the whole thing changed. Here's another mystery. The holiness of the husband-wife relationship representing Christ and his church. Paul talks about that in Ephesians as a mystery. That the way a husband and a, a husband and wife relationship is and how that is something to do with Christ and the church. I'm not going to go into that, but there's a mystery in it. There's something mysterious. And then uh, and then the, the, the last one is he he's, he begins to talk in uh, Corinthians about the second coming of Christ and begins to reveal. Again, we've had all these things. They've been in our Bibles for years. So we, 
we can rationalise it out. But this was new. This was now. I don't think those are the last mysteries. I think God's got a whole load of mysteries for us. I think they are there are truths which are just beyond our grasp. And and you know sometimes there are things I just can't get my head around. You know, just can't get get my head around. But then when we spend time in God's presence, and I've known this for me. He makes it clear. And suddenly you grasp something from God. Hey, why didn't I see that before? It's, it's obvious really, isn't it? But there are mysteries out there that when we're intimate with God, I believe God wants to. And Paul was an apostle and he got mysteries for the whole church. But I believe that God has got mysteries for you and for me. If we give ourselves the time and the, the determination to spend time in God's presence. He's got mysteries that he wants to reveal to us. Right? And, and I just wanted to say that. So coming, let's go, coming to an end now, let's go back to Moses on the mountain. Exodus itself mainly suggests that the people were forbidden uh, to go up the mountain. And if they did, they would be... Uh, they. They, they would either die or they'd have to be stoned. Uh, the, the writer to the Hebrews suggests something slightly different. He suggests that the people didn't want to go up the mountain. Uh, he, he suggests that they were too afraid of God to go up the mountain. So they wanted Moses to go and do it for them. You go up the mountain, Moses. You get into God's presence. You find it for me. I want to get on with my life. You can come and just tell me what God tells you. But God's calling us to go up the mountain ourselves. You know, we're not, we're not, it's, it's a different mountain. The, the Hebrew author says, you know, we're not coming to a mountain that's fire and smoke. We're coming to a holy mountain where God's presence is. And I, I just got... Um, one little story I wanted to, f to tell you because it, it was very moving for me. Again, I was in Toronto and I was on another week's teaching and this teaching was talking about God's fatherhood, the fatherhood of God, the father heart of God. And um, we'd, had a, we'd had a session of teaching and uh, as, as was quite common in those days, after a teaching, you'd, people would line up and the guy who's preaching would lay his hands on them and many would fall over and so on and I stood in this line but he was sort of down there praying for people and I just went I just fell on the floor on my own and God started to speak to me and he started saying to me um, you know <clears throat> and I'll tell you I said to, he says he says you think that I'm I love you but actually, because of, because of the bad attitudes in your life, you can come this far and no further. How many times would you, would you, would you think that sometimes you sort of think of God and his anger and his wrath? He does, he does hate our sin. But God in his anger and his wrath, he's, he's, he's angry with us. And then Jesus comes along and gets in between us and God and sort of says, you know, no, 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 you know, just, and Jesus is there. That work of salvation was initiated by the Father, right? 
and he and he he said to me he said instead of you think that what i'm doing is because of your bad attitudes and you haven't got yourself right yet i'm saying this is god saying i'm saying to you you can come this far and no further he said the truth is i'm welcoming you what you're doing is you're saying i can come this far but no further that's what we do sometimes. I don't think I can go into God's presence because of who I am. He said, forget that. Now, do you know, what? Do you know that, that absolutely changed my thinking. And just then, then it came to me. At that time, my daughter um, was, my daughter's always been very, very affectionate. But she was also doing things that we hated. <laughs> She was doing the sort of things that young people did that, that we hated. And yet she'd come home and be really affectionate. I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. And when she was affectionate to me, I couldn't respond. It didn't seem I could respond knowing that she was doing things which were dishonoring. And, uh, and, he, you know, got the f- and God said to me, and he says, you know, what you've been doing to me what you've been thinking I've been doing to you, you can come this far and no further. That's what you're doing to your daughter. He showed me that I had permission not to do that. I had permission to welcome my daughter into my arms, even though she was doing things that grieved me. Do you know that transformed my relationship with my daughter? So I've, I've transformed my relationship with, with Father God's changed. My daughter, I went straight back from that thing. I was in this warehouse in, in Toronto and we did have internet access, which was quite unusual in those days. And I got on the keyboard and I sent her a letter and I said, if the if, the, if your screen's getting all blurry, that's because I'm, my tears are falling on the keyboard. It also tr- transformed my relationship with my own dad. Soon after, not long after I came back from Toronto, my mum died quite suddenly. I'd never been that close to my dad, but I became his carer. And for a number of years, when I say his carer, I wasn't... He, he, we brought, I brought him down to Basingstoke... He had to be in a care home. He, he'd got dementia. And, um, but I would go and see him every day, virtually every day. I'd go and visit him and talk with him. And I learnt to, uh, things about my dad. And when my dad eventually died, I felt utterly at peace because I'd spent the time with my dad and I felt I'd done everything I needed to do, and it was his time to go. So I felt that that father-heart relationship is so, so important in every aspect of our lives. So um, just to close, just to say, God has opened us a way for intimacy. Whether we take it or not, it's up to us. And can I, can I say, that it, for some people it's like falling off a log. For other people, they really, really struggle. 
because this gets in the way so often. But if we can get back to that, then I think that we'll be happier Christians. Amen. Thank you.